There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with, again, again, Greg and Colin. Still, still here. Yeah, hundreds of episodes in. It's the same two of us. Yep, right on. Greg, the headlines are all around us now, driving fear for sure. I'm sure you've seen them recently. I have. These headlines, you got a question. Do they do us any good? Do they give us any actionable advice? And I'd like to start today's episode by looking at a recent article from the Wall Street Journal, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Go for it. Well, the start of this year, Greg, has not been particularly good for stock markets. I've noticed. Yeah, or bond markets. And so, of course, all of the editorials or stuff are coming up about how bad things are. So the Wall Street Journal wrote, Wall Street sets records in the first half of the year, none of them good. Right on. Now, this is all true. I mean, there's been lots going on in the first six months of 2022. In the article, I won't read through every line, but I'll read a few of them. The economy is on the cusp of a recession, battered by high inflation and rising interest rates. Maybe. I mean, interest rates are going up and inflation is high and interest rates are going up to combat inflation. These are all facts. And that could, in fact, lead to a recession. For sure. So they go on to write, six months through Thursday were the stock market's worst first half of a year since 1970, dropping nearly 21% over the past six months. So I guess that's called a bear market. It is. And they call this out. They talk about the sell-off has been remarkably broad. Every sector except for energy being down this year, which I find interesting because energy last year was like where nobody wanted to have any money. The worst, absolutely. But now it's like where you should have had, I should have known, right? I should have (laughs) known that energy was going to go up. Exactly. The problem is, and they point out in the article, that bonds, which are normally a safe haven for investors during stock market corrections, have had a terrible six months too. And that's being fueled by those things we just talked about. Higher than normal inflation, causing central banks in their monetary policy to raise interest rates, which negatively affects bond prices that are trading in the market. And so you're having negative returns in bonds at the same time as having negative returns in stocks. What they call out is, I quote, for the average investor with a diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds, it probably feels like nothing has worked. And I think that that does feel that way, right? It does. Oh yeah, for sure. That's just natural. You look through the portfolio and trying to look for things that have done well. And when nothing's done well, it doesn't feel very good. Well, unless you had a bunch of energy in your portfolio. Right on. And then you'd say, see, I told you, Greg, told you we should load it up on those energy names. Yes. Which is not true, of course, because what people also forget is that the price of oil a year ago or so, do you remember that day it traded at negative $35 a barrel? Early in the pandemic, yeah. That was pretty awesome. So, of course, when the price of oil was negative $35, do you think there was a bunch of people jumping up and down to buy oil and gas stocks? And the people holding oil and gas stocks in those days when oil and gas stocks dropped 80 or 85% were probably about as happy as a duck in Arizona. Here we go again. <laughs> happy as a duck in Arizona. Like, are there ducks in Arizona? I don't even know. There must be. I think the bottom line is that if you're a duck, there's probably not a lot of 
water in Arizona. And so. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. 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 I don't know where to go with that one. Okay. But what they talk about is, and we had a mention of this a few weeks ago, the death of the 60-40 portfolio. The annual death. The annual death of the 60-40 portfolio. In that, in the 60-40 portfolio, which is a typical asset allocation where 60% is in stocks and 40% in bonds, that in this particular time period, investors haven't been protected from the downdraft. That's right. Well, so what? So they call this out, but we just talked about how stocks are down and bonds are down and why. So they talk about how this is due to high inflation running at the fastest pace in more than 40 years and that rising prices have hit consumer spending, which makes sense. Listen, everything is up in cost. I went to the gas pump the other day. I paid $160 to fill my gas tank. $160. That's a lot. That's a lot. Did it stop me from buying the gas though? No. No, because I still needed it. So yes, rising prices hit consumer spending. Perhaps we're making different decisions. Maybe we're not doing long road trips like we have in the past, but we still need gas to get around town. So they talk about consumer spending earlier in the year rose more slowly than previously estimated. Again, makes sense. Inflation's high. Interest rates are higher to combat inflation. Costs are higher. So people are possibly spending less. And they talk about how the S&P 500 technically fell into a bear market, which is defined as a 20% fall from its peak. This is not new though. There have been, I think I read 11 bear markets, something like that, in the last same 50 odd years. So why does it get so much attention? If there's been 11 bear markets, so a bear market every three to five years, why does it get all the headlines now? And I think it's just because it's current. For each one of those bear markets in the last 50 years, there's been a lot of headlines right around the time that the market has gone down 20%. Yeah, but interesting to me, like I had somebody come in last week and they were quite upset that their portfolio had gone down in value. And I'll get back to the article here in a minute, but just tell a short story. We looked at like how in March of 2020, the stock market fell 35% in two weeks because of the global lockdown and how their portfolio had dropped $200,000 in two weeks. And you know what they said to me, Greg? What's that? I forgot all about that. And I said to them, well, and you're going to forget about this one too, because I hate to jump to the punchline, but it's going to go back up. In the meantime, getting back to the article, Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, talks about how the central bank's efforts to fight inflation are likely, highly likely to involve some pain. And that comes with higher borrowing costs to slow down spending to curb inflation. Exactly. And all of those things, as we mentioned earlier, have a negative effect on the current price of bonds, which means that bond portfolios are having negative returns right now. What about cryptocurrency? And I know we're not technically supposed to talk a lot about cryptocurrency, but we can mention that Bitcoin is down like 50% this year, right? Or more, yeah. Now, there were people out there that were touting cryptocurrency as maybe a good hedge against stock and bond market risk. I guess that's not true. Not this year. (laughs) So gold hasn't been a great hedge either. No, yeah. What's happened with gold? It's down. Yeah, gold is super volatile. Everybody forgets that, except for gold bugs. Well, with gold bugs, it's kind of a long-term belief that gold is going up. And if you might wait 10 or 12 or 15 years, but when it does, it's like it feels like, yes, nailed it. Gold went up. But what did you miss along the way? That's the thing. That's the question. So in the next few weeks, companies are going to begin to report their second quarter earnings. And there's a lot of investors out there that are wondering what those are going to look like and what they're going to mean to the market for the third quarter and beyond. Because listen, in the article, 
It calls out, typically a bear market turns when the world still feels horrible. Now, this is true because nobody knows when the bottom is until it's actually already occurred. Exactly. So you remember back in 2009, March 9th of 2009 was the absolute bottom of the global financial crisis. That's right. The Dow Jones was at about 7,600 points, something like that. It's at around 31,000 today. Remember, I think it was March 8th or 9th that the same Wall Street Journal wrote an article about how it's just going to get worse from here. Well, and I think the recession itself didn't end until later in 2009, maybe in the third or fourth quarter of 2009. And so the stock market being kind of a leading indicator, it had seen or projected the recession and responded as you'd expect. And it also then was looking forward and seeing the end of the recession. I think the market started coming back before it was even announced. What is it? National NBER, National Bureau. Oh, National Economic Research Bureau. Yeah. Something like that. NBER. Oh, National Bureau of Economic Research. Yeah. They hadn't even called the recession yet and the market was already starting to recover. Yeah. Because as you say, the stock market is a leading indicator. It's probably the number one leading indicator of economic contraction and, and expansion. So in the article, they talk about how economists have been raising the probability that the U.S. economy is about to go into recession. And as you say, maybe, but okay, all of those things sound terrible. All of those things they wrote about, interest rates are high, inflation's high, stocks are down, bonds are down, and we're headed for a recession. And those are the same articles that are written all over the place right now. So our question is, well, what are you going to do about it? Like, are you going to make any major changes because the stock market's down, the bond market's down, and maybe there's a recession ahead? And again, it comes down to, and some of this comes from an article recently written by David Booth. David Booth, the co-founder of Dimensional Fund Advisors, an ex-chief investment officer. And the only billionaire we've met in person. That's right. But the question is, and we've talked about this a lot on this podcast, but what's your plan? What are you going to do about it? This stuff is happening. And there's a lot of people stressed out about a lot of things right now. So you look at, we talked about the markets are down. Prices are up on a lot of things. Gas, you mentioned. Food, inflation is quite strong right now. Interest rates are rising and tough to decide whether or not you're going to buy a house right now because you want to buy a house even though interest rates are up quite a bit. But just in case they go up further, it's major financial decisions we're talking about here. And it's very difficult and stressful for people to figure out what to do. I can't imagine going to buy a house right now because mortgage rates a year ago on a five-year were somewhere around 2%. And I believe today they're somewhere around four. Yeah, they've doubled. That changes the outlook for many people in terms of how much house they can afford and what to do. And on top of that, there's other stress out there. We're still theoretically in a pandemic. I've just heard lately that COVID cases are on the rise again. I read a seventh wave in Quebec. So if you're stressed out about that, and stressed about what's going on in the stock market, then maybe we need a better way to invest. And when we talk about a better way to invest, it's not talking about a way to get a higher return because there's no guarantees of getting a higher return. And as David Booth mentions, if anybody guarantees you a higher return, you better stop reading the article or get off that Zoom call or something because there are no guarantees. But what we're talking about is having a plan for how to invest. The purpose of the plan is to prepare you for times like this when the market falls quickly. And of course, at the same time, there's also times when the market rises quickly, like it did after the pandemic. The market went down very quickly in February, March of 2020, down 35% at the bottom. And 
almost as quickly, it got back up to where it had been before and kept on going from there. Well, I would actually argue that it went up not after the pandemic, it went up in the midst of the worst of the pandemic. Well, and in fact, I think even well in advance of the worst, because it's funny, but when you recall, you think back that first wave of the pandemic, not a very big bump. The whole thing was all about flattening the curve and the lockdowns did a good job of flattening the curve. And it's when things started opening up that the waves seemed to get bigger and bigger. So interesting, the stock market was growing all the way through those second, third and fourth waves of the pandemic. But anyway, back to the plan. You need a plan that helps you stay invested for the long term and being able to skate through periods like we're going through right now when markets are down. Now, everyone's not going to have the same plan. Everyone's got a different situation and people are willing to accept different amounts of risk. And it all comes down to a function of how comfortable are people with risk? How do they live through stressful times? And everyone's different. But we all face the same ups and downs in the markets. And so what is the plan? And so David Booth talks about, there's basically three things you need to think about. The first question being, why are you investing? And that's got to be linked to goals. And as we've talked about before, let's say your chief financial goal is retirement. Well, there's going to be a time frame. There's going to be a quantitative number that you need to get to in order to feel comfortable retiring from a financial standpoint. And there's an amount of risk that you're willing to take in order to get you to that goal. And that is the answer to the question, why are you investing as well? I'm working towards a goal. Without a goal, there's no plan. Oh, Blair has a saying, Blair from our team, without a plan, a goal is just a wish. Exactly. The plan is the roadmap to that goal. Then the second thing, you need to determine what balance of bonds and stocks you're going to be comfortable with. And so, of course, we've talked possibly ad nauseum on the whole issue of asset allocation. But given that we think it's one of the most important decisions you'll make, it's worth spending some time on. It's not that we think it's one of the most important. It's like, I think the number is, correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, 92% of the variance of a portfolio's return is based on its asset allocation. Exactly. And only 8% is attributed to things like security selection, market timing, and others. Exactly. So you have to find that balance and you have to accept the fact that if you have more money in bonds, then you're going to have possibly a less volatile portfolio, but one that perhaps does not deliver the same returns as one that's got less in bonds, more in stocks, and therefore might be more volatile. Now, actually, on that note, if anybody's listening and they say, well, we just talked about how the bond market's down and the stock market's down, so why do I own these bonds? I would argue that bonds are actually doing what they're supposed to do and that they're down less. And even in a horrible year like this, where both stocks and bonds are down, stocks are down about 20%, let's say, and bonds are down about 10%. So regardless of the fact that they're both down, bonds have protected capital in this environment. And again, as you point out, it's probably a very temporary thing. Yeah. I mean, if you look at going back to that March 9th discussion of 2009, in that time period, the stock market was down 50%, we'll call it. At that time, bonds also were down like 10 or 12%. In the early going, for sure. In the early going. By the end of the year, there was a reversal of that and bonds closed up the year, I think somewhere around 15% That's right. So that's point number two. And point number three is focus on controlling the things that are in your control. So one of the things, obviously, the first two things we mentioned are both in your control, creating a plan and setting an asset allocation that you can live with. And there's other things like, gee, you could spend less, save more, 
if you feel that you're nervous about where things are going right now. So you have to be careful. If you get tempted to make a change just because of what's going in the market, you have to think about whether you're moving from one long-term plan to the next long-term plan. And it's very difficult to do that because the temptation comes from trying to time the short-term moves. And making short-term moves, market timing, we've talked about that in the past. doesn't work. It's more like speculating and it's not the best part of a long-term investment plan. And listen, when you look back over the years in this business, I've been through numerous bear markets and we can make a long list of the things that made the markets go down. And right now people are talking about high interest rates, but I moved to Calgary in 1990. I bought a house. I needed a mortgage. I needed a loan to complete the purchase. And my mortgage interest was 13.5%. So people that are worried about high interest rates now, when we're sitting at right now mortgage rates at 4%, think about 13.5%. And I was just looking, interesting, what was going on in the stock market? I bought my house in about, let's say, August of 1990. Well, in July of 1990, there was a bear market in stocks. I didn't know that. U.S. stocks were down 20.8%. What was going on there? Well, there was a war in Kuwait. Oh, right. And interest rates had climbed, obviously. I mean, given my mortgage rate was 13.5%. So you had high interest rates. You had a war. Stocks were down 20.8%. But look at that. The trading days to maximum decline. So here's the bear market started on July 16th, 1990, and the trading days to the maximum decline was 62. Okay. 62 trading days. Three months. Yep. So it was down in 62 days or three months from top to bottom. Trading days from the bottom of that bear market to recovery, back to where things were, 84. Four months. So the market went down- Five months. 84, 20 days a month. Okay, four. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Got to keep it real. But anyway, here's the point. We had high interest rates. As I said, my first mortgage was 13.5%. Stocks were down 20.8% over a period of three months. It took them four months to recover. I can tell you that I had an open mortgage because I didn't want to lock in at 13.5%. And every six months from the time I got that first mortgage, the interest rate went down. I'm not saying it's going to happen this time. I'm just saying that things can reverse very quickly. And so for people that are tempted to make short-term changes based on what's happened in the recent past, you can actually make some mistakes along yeah. the way. I could have locked in my mortgage at 13.5% thinking that was a deal and that rates could go higher. People could have sold all their stocks down 20%. I used to be a banker years ago. Yes, you did. Right? And I remember signing people up for new mortgages seven-year terms at 6.7%. And at the time, people were super thankful Absolutely. to lock in 6.7% for seven years. Exactly. Of course, rates fell after that, and those same people would not have been very thankful. That's right. So listen, we have to accept the fact that these shocks are going to happen. And the secret, as David Booth points out, is you have to prepare for them rather than trying to predict them. Okay, this time it's inflation, fear of a recession, a war in the Ukraine, increased volatility. We don't know when it'll end and we don't actually know what the next shock will be or when it'll recur. But the only thing we know for sure is that it'll be a surprise because if it wasn't going to be a surprise, then the market would have already priced that in. So as a long-term investor, there is good news and that is that you can capture the returns of the market without having to accurately forecast what's going to happen in the near term. And that's great because no one's consistently good at that. We've talked about that in the past. 
So in times like this, stock prices are going down, the market is setting prices and shares today will have a better return and attract new buyers. There's risk. And if you want to put a greater emphasis around it, things seem riskier now, stocks are priced lower, and there's a greater expected return. Because with higher risks, there's a higher expected return. Yeah. So if an investor sits there and says, well, I want to wait for things to look better. It's like, oh, so you want to buy in when things are higher. That's right. Because when things look better, the market will have already priced that in. So that's the thing. And if prices are lower going forward, there's going to be a more likely outcome of prices going up. Now, again, listen, there's a lot of people that have bought tech stocks and high flyers in the last couple of years. We've talked about some of the ARC funds, which are very technology focused, but it probably doesn't feel very good. And that's why we try to stay away from buying individual stocks or sectors is because you can go through those very deep cycles, but you don't have to do that because we can diversify, spread out the risk over thousands of stocks. And then you won't feel the same kind of regret because the volatility will be much less with the overall market and with thousands of stocks than with single stocks. Well, I mean, if you own the market, the chance of having a 90% negative return is like zero. If you own Shopify and not picking on Shopify, just as an example, the chance of having a negative 90% return, well, actually is sort of realistic. That's right. And it's because it went up, it doubled or tripled in value on the way up. But when you're a long-term investor, if you can think in terms of decades rather than years, then you've got the greatest chance of capturing the power of compounding, which we may well talk about in a future episode. And those little extra gains can really add up over time. And so regardless of the shocks that have happened over the last, say, 95 years in the U.S. stock market, the market's returned averagely about 10% a year. And that's not something that you get in any one year, but over the long term, typically investors have been rewarded with that average. So you're talking about the S&P 500. I'm talking about the S&P 500. I think the Canadian market's maybe a little bit less, maybe 8% or so, but still a pretty darn good return over long periods of time. And you only earn that return by being in the market and by kind of sticking it out through times like this. So you got to get through the tough times. And I think the secret there is to have a plan and prepare, as David Booth talks about, you got to prepare for times like this. And you don't prepare by switching your asset mix. You prepare emotionally. You prepare by maybe changing your behavior and some of your purchasing habits for a short period of time. And then things will generally hopefully take care of themselves. So I guess the question back to people is, so what's your plan, right? Exactly. That's the most important thing as you talk about. It's not about the headlines. It's not whatever the Wall Street Journal writes or anybody else. Yes, Greg, the market is in a bear market. Yes, it's the worst start to a calendar year since 1970. This is going to sound funny, but so what? If you have time, it will all come to pass, just like it has in every other bear market in history. So when you hear things like, it's the worst start in 52 years, it's like saying, well, we had a one in 50 year flood in Calgary a few years ago. It doesn't mean the next year you can't have a one in 100 year flood or a one in 400 year flood, but we have to remain optimistic. I mean, we've got to focus on the long term. And as you point out, there's lots of data out there that shows what markets have done after a sell-off, during a sell-off, et cetera. According to data from MarketWatch, which is just a place we get some data from, on average in the US, over the past 11 bear markets, the market decline has lasted somewhere around 11 months. And the market's gone down on average around 35%. So the market is down 25-ish percent right now. I don't know, something like that. Does it mean it can't fall another 10%? Sure. It can. But again, on average... The market goes up somewhere between 
15 and 48% for the first 12 months after a bear market. And on average, it takes about two years for full recovery. So if the market's down 25% and it drops down another 10 and it's down 35, and you know that it takes two years on average to recover, doesn't that mean you're going to get 17.5% a year for the next two years in returns? Something like that. So in every previous bear market, it has always recovered to the previous all-time high, and then it's continued to go higher. So Greg, why would we expect this one to be any different? Well, we wouldn't. Again, because we can't predict the future, we have to just go with what our best inclination is, and that's what historically has worked. Every time there's a bear market, we sit down and we talk about, oh, what is it this time? And it may be something different than it was last time, but in the end, things are the same. Stock prices fall until they fall to a level that seems extremely attractive and unrealistically low, and people will buy in and raise the prices back to areas that make more sense. It's going to be based on earnings recovery. If we get into a recession, earnings will go down and then they'll come back up. Coming out of recession, it's called a business cycle for a reason, and that's because it's a cycle. It repeats. Like marriage. (laughs) Marriage is a cycle too. (laughs) I hope it doesn't repeat in my case. Well, no, but you got your peaks and your troughs, right? So as I was saying, the bull market that comes out of a bear market, that's important. You won't know what the end of the bear market is until after it's happened, but the bull market that develops coming out of it usually lasts around five years. So if you miss a portion of that recovery, you might miss a big portion of return. Exactly. So as much as many investors are thinking about, I don't know, throwing in the towel because the market's down, that be it the stock market, the bond market, whatever. What's the answer to that, Greg? Should they throw in the towel? I think not. No, don't do it. You won't know when the next bull market starts as they turn quickly. And if you miss out on a few of those best days, as I said earlier, you're going to miss out on a lot of the excess return. And that is a mistake. You'll miss out on the upside volatility, the volatility that everybody wants. Like right now, everybody's focused on downside volatility. That's negative returns. But volatility has two sides to it. We are going to get upside volatility again. You heard it here first. As a duck to Arizona, or what did you say? (laughs) Happy as a duck in Arizona? Happy as a duck (laughs) as Arizona. There will be upside volatility again. I promise. Anyways. Well, that's a good place to end this episode. We'll be back next time. Sounds good. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.